0: Welcome to the AI Chat podcast. I'm your host Jaden Schaefer. Today on the podcast we have the pleasure of being joined by Ari Kaplan, who is a leading influencer in analytics, artificial intelligence, and data science. With a career that has touched everything from Major League Baseball to Fortune 500 companies, he's known as the real Moneyball guy. Um he has spearheaded transformative AI and analytics projects and is the co-author of five best-selling books in these fields with roles that are ranging from Uh, Databricks head of evangelism to leading the Chicago club's analytics department. Ari's diverse experience positions him as a pivotal voice in the AI community. Welcome to the show today, Ari.
1: Hey, thanks. Uh, Great to be here. I've loved uh, listening to a lot of your podcasts and appreciate everything you do. Super exciting, very eclectic group of people and always inspiring.
0: Uh, Yes. Yeah. Very eclectic. Um, Super excited to have you on the show. As I said, something I'd love to kind of kick this off with is asking you a little bit about uh your background and your journey um you know in tech specifically did you always know that you are going to kind of be in tech this always something you're interested in ai now today or is this something that you kind of uh discovered as you went through tell us a little bit about walk us through your your kind of background and journey
1: sure no i, I i'm a naturally curious type of person so i love exploring new things and you know, really in technology and innovation so i find like through my journey every like three or four years there's some like major shift you know, okay. generative AI right now, uh, more traditional AI, you know, f- four f- five years ago, Lakehouse technology, database, you know, and, and you keep rewinding. So mm. it's always really been in technology and I think kind of drives with the human fascination of taking the real world and trying to quantify, digitize it, whether it's old school chemistry from 500 years ago to the physics, how can you take something... In the real world and automate it and and repeat it through technology
0: Mm -hmm. yes very cool so that's incredible i think curiosity has led a lot of us into this space um so much is changing so much is evolving so that's really really cool um something i want to like double double click on from your past that seemed really interesting to me for those that have seen the, the movie uh moneyball um they'll know what what you're talking about here but tell us a little bit about um, your role, how you got into major league baseball and how your role in analytics kind of played in that whole thing. And maybe, you know, explain for people that haven't seen the movie.
1: Sure. No, it, it's been a, a real honor that most of my career has been around sports analytics. And, you know, when, when I, the journey has been you know pretty unique when I started, uh, I was one of the first four people that have been known to work in some capacity as what you might call like a data engineer or data analyst. Okay. Um, so I was just a student at Caltech. If you've seen the Big Bang Theory, um, that's kind of the school. I, uh, I, I resonate, feels like it was based on my life a little bit. Characters <laughs> were spot on in, in, uh, in how they uh, behaved. But yeah, I was an undergraduate and had this summer undergraduate research fellowship to just show that there are statistics that were out there that are better than were commonly used and was able to explain that and Communicate that in simple terms, and Fred Claire, who was the general manager of the Dodgers, had heard me. I starting to get into the news media, you know, it is Hollywood, L.A. area after all, and said he um, thought it might help him identify or trade or you know work better with his team. So he invited me up and did some work immediately with some of you know future Hall of Fame players, Oral Hershiser, Kirk Gibson. So that was like. Way before Moneyball, um, but always had to keep reinventing from coming up with better ways to analyze players. And mind you, these are like significant decisions. Right, if you get right. like, one player different, it's playoffs or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but then merging into scouting technology, how do you quantify what scouts are saying so that it's like everyone's talking on the same scale? And people like who are non-technical, um, maybe we can talk about. Uh, you know that democratization aspect, but back then it was the democratization of being able to query data uh, without having to know SQL or, or or information. Yeah. And then you know, Moneyball was like a great movie, uh, my opinion, and book about how this like really changed the whole industry. How they were first to move to move in some regards, and that helped get them, uh, you know, good players with lower cost. And now Fast forward, the movie's been an inspiration to a generation. It's been over 20 years and every team went from zero to one data scientist analyst to 30, 40, 50 for each team. And now went from an industry of about four people to you know tens of thousands of people. If you include like vendors and the people that work for teams all around the world. So that, that was like the movie uh, changed my life. Uh, and then it, the, the, the great thing actually happened after the movie, after every team implemented analytics. Uh-huh. Uh, it changed the game so much that they just last year had to change the rules to like <laughs> limit defense shifting since it got quote unquote boring. It worked too well.
0: That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, I feel like with any kind of arbitrage like that, whoever gets it at the very beginning. So kudos to yourself for kind of being on the cutting edge of that sees the major benefit. Eventually when everyone adopts the same strategy, it's, it's a little trickier, but that's awesome. And uh, yeah, I think it really kind of goes to show the importance of focusing on data uh, with these players, obviously beyond just you know their skills or what you think they can add to the team, really looking at taking an analytical approach. It's awesome in sports, but that also applies to so many different areas. Um, and so I think you know that whole movie and movement kind of helped raise awareness for that, I think for a lot of different industries as well. So very, very exciting. Um, so currently you are the head of evangelism at databricks tell us a little bit i would be curious like how did you um how did you come into that how did you meet databricks what's your what's your story with them
1: yeah a uh, great story and if you haven't heard the title evangelist it's kind of a, new, a newish newer trend that tech companies are doing it's it's not like preaching religion <laughs> specifically <laughs> but it's uh you know like a brand ambassador somebody who can uh, like going on here uh, with you, Jaden, uh, people who've never heard of us explain it or explain it in simple terms, sometimes things get a bit technical. So mm-hmm. kind of like, what do you do and, and why? And I had that role a couple times before uh, my prior job, I created and led uh, evangelism at Data Robot, which is auto machine learning. Okay. And then I was the head of the user community worldwide for Oracle, okay. a big database company um, that when we acquired MySQL, Java, people know of, mm-hmm. PeopleSoft. But yeah, with uh, with uh, Databricks, it, you know, a quick-growing company. I'll explain who we are in a minute. But, you know, after a certain size, when you're certain growth, you know, you need to expand and, and build out your brand. And so a role came up. And uh, rewind all the way back to that Oracle mention, but uh, Rick Schultz, who's our chief marketing officer, he and I go, Back to our Oracle days, so okay. there was that good personality, um, you, you know that relationship, which is yeah. so important. And so, yeah, that that came about, and now it's uh, you know a, a great opportunity. Uh, you know, Databricks. If you haven't heard of us, we uh, created what's called the Lakehouse technology, and that joins uh, the old school, like structured database data warehousing, you know, like Oracle, yeah. uh, SQL Server of the world and unstructured data that they call data lake so machine learning video audio uh you know uh, pdf things uh you might have heard of the data swamp it's like ungoverned just like (laughs) pop data into files yeah so the lake house solves the problem of having one unified environment where you have all that data in one place and it's based on open source technology uh our founders actually created Apache Spark, MLflow, Delta Lake, which gets hundreds of millions of downloads a year, blows me away. Crazy. But because it's, yeah, it's incredible. Uh, uh, It it performs typically, you know, many times faster. You know, everyone is different, but multiple times faster than traditional data lake data warehouse. And it's uh, oftentimes 10, 20, 50, 80% less expensive and it's simpler. So usually you have to pick one of the three, uh, less expensive, faster, or simpler, but you get the benefit of all three. So that's in a nutshell. Databricks, you know, we did make news a couple of weeks ago when we raised an additional round, which uh, funding, which makes us the third largest private tech company in the world, uh, behind SpaceX and Chime. So
0: incredible, um, yeah, and congratulations. You it's you know, and to your, uh, to your and the team's credit. Um, looking at a lot of the moves Databricks is doing. Uh, I've been super, super impressed. Um, and I think it was just earlier this year, right? There, a big merger happened between Databricks and Mosaic ML. Um, so I see Databricks really doing some uh, some incredible moves in the space. What are some of the things that you're most excited about that Databricks is currently working on or implementing?
1: Yeah, there, there's so many exciting things. And you know, our core Lakehouse technology, mm-hmm. You know what we've been doing up to this date, it's now 1.5 billion a year in revenue, and it's focused on data and AI. Mm-hmm. Um, everything from the data engineering—you um, know, how do you get these pipelines and these flows—to um, the machine learning, to the ML ops, to operationalizing it, mm-hmm. and so that's all exciting. What we're doing at the core, and you know, what we're what we have now in building uh, the whole marketplace is exciting. But uh, what we call Unity Catalog, which is Everything from the governance—you know, how do you do audit trails? How do you understand what version of your data is accurate? What version of your data is from five years ago? Um, you know, you want to understand that to the transparency. So understanding—we you know, talk. What everyone's talking about LLMs, and we don't know mm-hmm. if it hallucinates, but having that governance to understand where your data comes from, maybe have it uh, privatized. So things that are private to your company don't get out in the world that is getting more and more important. So that's our unity catalog. And then you had mentioned mosaic ML that was the, uh, large acquisition just a couple of months ago. Yeah. And building large language models is like all the attention these days. It, it you know, I think it'll get back, uh, you know, a little bit where we'll be large language models and more traditional predictive modeling and classification, mm-hmm. um, but you know, that's super exciting. The use cases that are coming out and that are going to come out that we haven't even thought of is super exciting. And then like looking like even more forward, uh, Databricks, other companies, we are you know, looking to leverage AI within our products. So like, as you're a coder, you're writing Python or, you know, pick your language. It helps, you know, it used to just be autofill the name of the table you're looking up. Right. But AI can like, Help suggest comments and do quality assurance, synthetic data generation. Um, so it's like a code assist, a co-pilot as you code, which is really exciting. And what we're able to do now is great. And one year from now, two years, like the the world of software development is going to be uh, 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 like advanced, well well ahead of what it is now.
0: Yeah, I see a lot of uh, a lot of changes and shifts and. It's kind of interesting because I feel like when you look at a lot of the different players in the space, Databricks is definitely one that uh, is, is going to be a really big winner in this whole AI space. Um, and for good reason, they're doing some really cool things, making some cool acquisitions. I believe you just raised, you know, $500 million at a $43 billion valuation. So congratulations to the whole team on that. Um, really exciting to see, you know, uh, the market's confidence in, in essentially your strategy and your plan. Something I'd be curious to ask you about is you know, what do you think sets Databricks apart from perhaps competitors or other people that may try to do some of the similar things? What do you think is, you know, the the secret sauce and some of the uniqueness of uh, Databricks?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, great question. And, you know, we've had a lot of success creating the Lake House. So, you know, there are and there will be other companies coming into the space. Um, you know, all different things. Number one is you know, we were built like the whole company. We created Lake House. And the foundation was open source. So, as an effect, like we're not taking existing software and trying to tweak it and and backfit it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, as a result, um, you know, we have companies running their own benchmarks against, you know, anything out there. Um, And benchmarks, you know, by and large are like way, way faster, way, way less expensive. So, people, like, especially in this economic environment, you have to kind of watch your bottom line yeah. uh, migrating the other thing is the scalability so like databases, bases i you know mm-hmm. love oracle i used to work there as the head of the user group but they you know you only scale to like the billions of records and you know it's kind of wild but now data sets are hundreds of billions we have companies that have trillions of records uh, mm-hmm. you know grammarly five billion new uh you know grammar things people are entering every single day so that's uh, you know, hundreds of billions a year, the level of data um, just doesn't scale. So, mm-hmm. if your level of data goes up tenfold, um, you know, it's more like the cost consumption is more linear with us and it's more exponential um, with other solutions. The secret sauce is that since the lake house has everything in one platform with other platforms, you have to copy data, migrate data, mm. um, you also have to have like two or more governance like different usernames, different passwords. Uh, the lineage of some data is here and some over there. It's mm-hmm. just like inconsistent. Uh, but you know, really you avoid, by avoiding copying of data everywhere, mm-hmm. or, I mean, that, that that's a huge deal when you get large data sets.
0: Yeah, that definitely makes a big difference. Something that I'd be curious about is like, how does the Lakehouse platform compare in terms of like price and performance with, you know, like traditional cloud data warehouses or something?
1: Yeah, you know, great question. There's, you know, uh, more neutral, like Gartner, Forrester, uh, MIT report that have done their own benchmarks, uh-huh. um, customer, you know, customers do their own benchmarks as well. And it, you know, all depends on the size of the files and the size of the data. But you know, we, you know, we're we are winning accounts from pretty much everywhere else. Yeah. because of those uh, three factors um so it's it's not a marketing trick it's like in real life people are like ditching you know what you might call legacy uh-huh. systems and moving to what we call the modern data stack for, for all those three reasons
0: yeah yeah, I, I definitely see that um talking to people in the space and then something else that i have heard but i'd love to get your you know pick your get your, hear your thoughts on it but i'm wondering if you can elaborate a little bit about how uh lakehouse platform is accelerating the machine learning like life cycle.
1: Yeah, yeah, so machine learning life cycle, something I've done, I've been a hands-on data scientist, you know, beyond being someone like an evangelist that talks about it, Mm -hmm. like with the Chicago Cubs created all of those analytics from scratch. So the challenges I faced, um, you know, having been a practitioner uh, are greatly accelerated through uh, Databricks. So there is, you know, all different steps. There's ingesting the data, um you know called elt or etl um Mm -hmm. depending on what you're doing you're you know loading data you're transforming data so it's like this whole process uh flow and databricks has like really easy to use uh, capabilities that you could give rules like when do you reject uh something Mm -hmm. Uh, super helpful when you're doing like real-time streaming like you're ingesting social media you're ingesting um You know claims or you're ingesting you know sales or or something like that as things happening real time what are the business rules to to process it and Mm -hmm. transform it but then once you have that machine learning um you know the the there's traditional machine learning on structured data only but the more types of data you can put into a machine learning model oftentimes that gives you better insights it's more uh, fine-tuned to the reality to the complexities innuendos of, of real life so databricks does a great job taking it's called multimodal yeah. some structured data like sales
0: mm-hmm. some
1: unstructured data like a transcript of a complaint call uh, uh, social media images and make a better uh, forecast in there, so that's making okay. the forecast. And then once you have the forecast, you like productionalize it. It's kind of one of the final steps. Uh-huh. The model uh, is it perfect? Maybe not, but is it good enough to productionalize? Maybe put it into production, um, which used to be a really hard task. It would take yeah. you days to do. Now it's like click of a button. And then once you do that, and you're scaled to have hundreds of models or thousands of models, it's this whole new sub-industry called ML Ops. Mm-hmm. How do you have a dashboard of hundreds or thousands of models and see where the data is drifting? Know when am I going to refresh the data? Where has a model failed? Like where has the data stopped ingesting? So now you have like dashboards and alerts for hundreds or thousands of models to just understand who's using which models, what assets are being used Super and, and helpful. not and by who. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's incredible. That's very cool. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, a big part of the solution to what was otherwise a, a, a very large problem to grapple with for a lot of people. So I think that's definitely one reason why Databricks is excelling. Um, in a lot of ways, I definitely hear a lot of positive things about it. Something I would, I would love to ask you just kind of from your own perspective and in your own background and everything you've seen in AI machine learning. I'm wondering, what's a piece of advice you feel like you could give to, you know, aspiring um, machine learning, data scientists, AI experts, people in this field. What's a piece of advice you feel like you could give?
1: Yeah, great question. And I do uh, teach some college courses on data science, so love giving advice. Um, you know, all depends on where your journey is. But you know, you know, don't. I guess my big advice is, you know, be a self learner. Um, things are changing so quickly. You know, uh, there's so many different websites and YouTube videos, your podcast to listen to. So like always be learning and then like be humble enough to ask questions when you don't know, uh, you know, you get stuck. A lot of people are worried about like their own, like it looks bad to to ask questions. It's okay to fail um, mm-hmm. as, as long as you're learning and it's okay to not know something. Um, you know, like at my company, I tell people, how, how does this work? How does that not work? How do I do something? Um, and so it's a great culture. But you know, even even myself, I've um, you know had, had a. I'm not starting out. I've had a career, um, but yeah, the advice to people starting out and anywhere along the way is is you know just that: keep learning, keep asking questions, and don't worry about being vulnerable and failing.
0: I love it. That is um, definitely impactful advice. I mean, that's good advice that applies to anyone in in so many different industries and so many different areas that people are looking to um, to go into or to learn about, but yeah, especially I think in AI, that's really, really critical today. Something I would love to ask you about as well is, you know, what are some misconceptions about AI that you encounter in your role as an evangelist and a thought leader in this space? You know, some things that people are just getting wrong.
1: Yeah. Um, well, th- th- I, I would say like we're in the phase now of gen AI, which is not even a year old. Uh-huh. So there's like a lot of. Um, the, like a lot of misconceptions and a lot of people you know, are focusing on what things can and can't do so mm-hmm. i think you know, like the main thing is uh people who just see gen ai as like a, an enhanced chatbot and yeah. think that that's the only like use case that you could do or try to backfit some public um publicly generated llm like chat gpt and like use it in their company sometimes that works but uh, you, you know, you a lot of companies are starting to realize that um, you don't need Taylor Swift in your database. You need something based on your own data for you know for certain use cases. So yeah. I think that's a misconception that you could use publicly available gener like general Gen AI models and it's like a, a cure all for uh, you know for what your business needs. And most cases, it's not.
0: Yeah, I think that's a uh, really Really important, definitely a misconception that a lot of people have in the space, but uh, yeah, that's that's some great advice, I think, there for sure. Something I'd love to ask you a little bit about, of course, you are a best-selling author. You've written a number of really uh, incredibly well-received books. I'm wondering if you could give us a little brief overview or summary or pitch for, you know, your your books and some that you feel like are really relevant specifically today for people to read.
1: Yeah, well, I've gone from specific to general, but they're all like technology. So like how to do uh, Oracle, how to was one baseball hacks is uh, like every baseball team has that on their shelf. It's like how to write R and uh, Python code to like scrape data off the web and visualize it. Uh, that, that was a big one. One that's out of date now, but that was at the time my bestseller it was <laughs> the first book on Windows 2000. Okay. Um, and it was wild. It became such a be- bestseller since Microsoft always comes out with their own books, but their book got delayed by like a month or two. Oh, so perfect. My book, yeah. Barnes and Noble, like it was the only one on the shelf if you needed to learn it. Um, so yet yeah, it, it made like top 20, like beating out some for, for at least that window like Oprah Book Club and everything. So that was wild. That's wild awesome. That's I awesome. went to Russia and I saw it like translated without my permission uh, in Russian on the street. It was oh, no. pretty, pretty fun. And I, saw, I went to Japan, saw it there on the street.
0: Oh, that's that funny. When you make something that people need, uh, you're <laughs> just gonna do whatever it takes, I guess. That's hilarious, that's awesome. I'm wondering, one other thing that I, I looked into and I saw about you is that uh, I know you have some patented mobile technology. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that and maybe some of its implications for the future of AI and analytics
1: yeah uh you know great research theory. I um you know i was talking about that like every four years reinvent yourself so one of the the ones i didn't mention was mobile technology and i worked at us robotics that made what was called the the palm pilot mm-hmm. and people may not remember that but it was like personal digital assistant that started the whole like mobile uh craze yeah uh, motorola came out with something then blackberry they just made a movie on how they epically failed to capture it. And then <laughs> yeah. a couple of other, Microsoft tried to get into it, you know, Apple, Samsung and others are, are there. But at the time it was the first business software that worked on a mobile device. So think like you can have a, a, a notebook on your computer, writing code you could do if you, if there are hardcore people on this podcast, like an SSH, like a Telnet into a server and write command lines. From your mobile device, um, so how how do you manage uh, an Oracle or a Teradata database? Um, people used to be on call and they would get paged and have to come back to the office or to their home, which could take an hour, it could take ten minutes. But here you could be out and about and respond immediately. Type in a command, restart or what have you. Mm-hmm. So that um, that that was wild. There was a company expand beyond. We raised the largest Series A in Illinois and. Uh, 2001 got a bunch of patents there, and uh, you know got later acquired. Uh, but it was really exciting to be there, you know, at the, the the very forefront of the mobile revolution for business. And now all of us, you know, Databricks, but you know everyone here, we call like the, we just had a conference, and our theme was Generation AI. So we all, whether you're Databricks or not, we're all part of this the first generation of shaping what is Gen AI and how do we, uh, how do we explore the possibilities, make it the best we can, um, and while at the same time, you know, you know limiting it uh, in the right way, governing it in the right way. So, that 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 digital, mobile database, and now Gen AI is, is the latest.
0: Very cool. Yeah, it's incredible to see some of the technological advancements and shifts that we're seeing today. Um, that's cool that you've been kind of at the forefront of each of these, and now you're kind of seeing. Um, this this new kind of wave of AI. All right, it's been incredible to have you on the podcast today. As we're wrapping up, I'd love to ask you, uh, you know, one last question, which is based on your unique perspective. I believe you have right now in this space. What are some of the biggest changes and advancements you see coming down the pipe in, like, let's say, the next three years in the AI space that uh, you're particularly interested and excited about?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, it's been fantastic coming on here and. Uh, you know, three years used to seem like a small time horizon, but now it seems like I have to put on my futurist hat. I used but, to say five to ten
0: years. Now I'm like okay, yeah. three to five.
1: <laughs> yeah, just in the la- you know, since last November, it's incredible. You know, there's going to be uh, hundreds of companies coming out that like don't exist now that are going to come out with incredible technology. So, uh, you know, the the main conceptual areas, you know, Gen AI. I'm just starting to see some really incredible use cases, like beyond your traditional ask a question and text, and it comes back with like resources with um, functions. You know, everything dealing with like real time video, Mm -hmm. um, things that are going to make interactions with um, humans much better, humans interacting with each other much better. Uh, The other thing I see rapidly changing is the world of, of, software development itself yeah so like i have kids that are in college going to go to college and i'm like what 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 are you going to learn that will still be applicable probably Mm -hmm. the concepts but a lot of the first level like easy boring parts of software development are they're all going to be uh, automated so everyone's going to if they're able to be elevated to do more and more complex so that is exciting but i just see this onrush of uh, data that's out there. So yeah, one other thing uh, I do wanna pull back with the bricks is we have yep. this credible marketplace, which is sharing of data, either open or closed. Mm-hmm. So the reason I pulled that back is uh, to push forward that there's going to be huge marketplaces since yep. it's very costly to make your own, you know, trillion record data set. So yes. I see companies where they can and should sharing data so there's not like 50 companies scraping the same data that will be shared Um, but then every company will augment that with their own proprietary like customer data um so i think that's going to be exciting this entire like global marketplace of data videos of social media and as that grows the the use cases are going to keep growing and I, i want to be blown away i want to see use cases that we're not even thinking about now yeah. start happening in three years.
0: Yep. A hundred percent. I think, uh, I think at the rate of progress we're making right now, that's not very far away. Listen, Ari, it's been incredible to have you on the podcast. Really appreciate all of your insights you've shared uh, and your unique perspective and background. Um, if people want to get in contact with you or learn more about Databricks and what you guys are building over there, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Yeah, well, Databricks.com is great. Um, we, uh you know, have all sorts of like, uh, hands-on labs and, and demo, a, a demo hub, a demo center with like videos of everything. If you, I, I love it. If people want to follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn, okay. just search for Ari Kaplan. Um, I'm not the lawyer who's popular there. I'm the guy <laughs> from Databricks, but I, I, post my insights. I try to make it fun. And, um, that way you can kind of learn and see where I travel around the world. And, uh, you know, hopefully i give all different nuggets of wisdom as I see and talk to people. So I love to connect on LinkedIn.
0: Very cool. I'll end up for the listener. I'll leave a link to Databricks in the show notes. You can go over there and check out some of the really cool things they're doing. Um, Ari, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. To the listener, thank you so much for tuning in to the AI Chat Podcast. Make sure to rate us wherever you get your podcasts Mm -hmm. and have a fantastic rest of your day.